Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. My guest today is a logistics expert and an authority in coordination, a worldwide events organizer on a scale that is utterly impressive. In a career spanning 16 years in motorsport, she has ensured the successful completion of countless events across all manner of racing disciplines, carving a highly respected name for herself throughout the motorsport industry. As the FIA WTCR team's coordinator, race weekends take place smoothly, safely and without visible stress. She makes each day fun for those around her while keeping a firm hold on every possible aspect of the action. My guest today is the absolutely brilliant Fiona Rees. Oh, that's lovely. I'm blushing. <laughs> Thank you. Now tell me, Fiona, when and where did your racing life begin? So um, it's been all my life, really. My father was in rallying. That was his hobby, which he turned into his career within uh, World Rally Championship. So he was um, British champion back in the 1980s. So I have grown up surrounded by the sport, watching him, um, going to local rallies and sort of, yeah, all I knew. Um, and then I had no desire to go into the sport, if I'm completely honest, um, as a teenager after watching World Rally Programme every weekend. But then I actually had some holiday to use up. So I went out to the World Rally in Spain and with him, with Subaru, just to spend the week and just absolutely loved it loved the team element loved that sort of family side to it all that thing that you really experience when you're in a in a racing team or a rally team and I just there's something about it that I just knew that that's where I wanted to be so I guess you could say it's in the genes really and yeah just looked for any opportunity then to be in the service park so I mean, considering I'm in circuit racing now, uh, my first entry was in rallying. And I actually spent time working with the merchandising company, just selling selling clothes in the paddock, selling um, merchandise. And then Subaru took me on on their hospitality side, or ProDrive. And I did all their European events in 2006. 
weeks serving the team their breakfast, lunch and dinner um, in the hospitality side, peeling potatoes, making sandwiches, really sort of threw myself in and um, wanted to use the opportunity to be in front of the right people and let people know that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the sport. I wanted to make a career in it. But at the same time, soak up all the fun, all the vibes. Um, honestly, had the, the best time traveling around. And um, yeah, I mean, there's still people I'm still in touch with so many years later. You just, it was a really, really good experience and a really good step into the door. And it was actually through that and through my work there that I'd found out about the opportunity at RML down the road. And it was the team manager of Subaru World Rally Team at the time who had said that he thought I should apply and that I would be good for the role. So it goes to show that you can start out by peeling potatoes or putting yourself in front of the right people and hard work pays off. Yes, it does, actually. It's sacred. Given your family situation and how much motorsport was being consumed around you, were you always a fan or were you actually just sort of aware that it was happening and not fussed about it at all? A a bit of both, actually. When I look back, I've always enjoyed, say, speed of it. So horse riding. I remember going go-karting a lot, really trying to keep the guys behind me and trying to take the lines on the corners from watching Formula One. (laughs) Not that I've done that for years. I'm not saying I'm any good at it. Um, <laughs> but uh, and my brother would just trundle around at the back, like absolutely no interest to put his foot down. He doesn't even have a driving license to this day. So, <laughs> And yeah, I remember, you know, dad teaching me to drive. <laughs> and I should really say, but yeah, dad always telling me to go that bit faster, that bit faster and the braking points around the corner. So I enjoyed that. I remember... On my game gear I got for Christmas when I was very young, where the, my favourite game was the Ayrton Senna F1 game, and I really enjoyed that. So, and I was always in the arcade on the racing games. So there was that element, but I think then as I got a bit older, became te- you know a teenager, I think things changed a bit. And at that point, I enjoyed all the stories. I enjoyed watching dad preparing the events. I enjoyed him coming home telling me about what happened in Africa or Indonesia or Hong Kong, Beijing, all these places which lit up something in me about wanting to travel and see the world. And I remember there was, you know, World Rally F1, it was all on the TV. But it's, it was more, as I discovered, and as I'm led to the role I'm doing now, it's been more the organisation side of it all. Uh, like I say, even now, I can sit on Google Maps for ages. <laughs> that putting putting it all together rather than the actual technical side of cars and it's I'm heavily involved in the sporting side as well so how the events been put together the rules the regulations what's happening on track so yeah I I enjoy it and there's definitely something that's that was within me as I grew up but again as I say it wasn't something that I was searching out to go and do so but I'm very very pleased it is the path I've taken I don't know what I could go and do now or what I would go and do now. Yeah, it sucks you in, doesn't it? It's a, it's, it's a hard one to imagine doing anything else. Do you have a, an earliest memory of motorsport? My very early memories go back to West Cork Rally in Southern Ireland. We used to go over every year and it was always St. Patrick's Day and my mum's birthday. 
and sometimes dad was competing and sometimes dad was just spectating and it was those memories lots of watching the cars and lots of what was going on outside of that as well but yeah they were some of my very early memories and just yeah being on the side and it was a very different motorsport we're talking plus 30 years from what we know of motorsport now so I'm pleased to have been exposed to motorsport how it was in those they will say older days and to see motorsport now and to have really witness those changes as well yeah at the time that would have been a very um visceral experience wouldn't it just all your senses kind of been heightened because of the proximity of the car and the speed and the sound and you were really there to witness it weren't you Yes, very much so. The style of working, as you say, the the closeness. It's all very, very different now in motorsport to how it was back then. But even, this is on a specifically rally side as well, the, the nature of how the events are run are very different. You know, all the stories and, you know, the Hong Kong-Beijing rally, you now have a one central point of an event and everything is working from that, which is how it was then when I was my days within the Subaru World Rally team but the adventures that I remember the stories that are coming back I don't think people will ever get to experience those. Yeah they really were on the road weren't they they were just going for it and having to logistically that must have been a nightmare actually. I know imagine it without any iPhones without Google Maps (laughs) it was all on like satellite (laughs) having to call on the satellite phone or yeah, just re- rely on that everybody's going to turn up at point A and point B when they're supposed to. But yeah, now with technology and how I'm using technology as well in my role now facilitates things. But yeah, I, I think I'd love to go back and do an event like that and see actually how it was done without anything that we know now. We'd really have to think very differently about how things are being done. It'd be a brilliant challenge. Given everything you've just told me, ultimately, do you think you chose motorsport or do you think actually it chose you? I don't know if I'm allowed to say a bit of both. I think it was it was destined because it was in my genes, but it's something that I have fought hard for. It didn't fall on my lap. It didn't come easily. And there were tears. You know, there was, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to, to work. Will I find the job we're like you know where will I fit and lots of strong conversations with dad at the time about that because I so much wanted to be in the sport and yes the right opportunity came around at the right time so it's yeah there's a bit of uh I think it was going to happen but I fought hard to have the position that I want and to be within the sport We've touched on it, but actually for the purpose of everybody listening, because I've not actually had anybody that specialise in your area of expertise on the podcast before. What does your role actually entail? What do you have to do? Is it true that effectively you are an expert at logistics, at event organisation? Are there other assets to what you do in the past to what you do now? So my role, try and summarise it, I'm a bit like a cog in the middle of the machine. So I'm liaising with my, at the moment, working with Touring Cars, the WTCR. My job is the team's coordinator. So yes, I'm the main point of reference for the competitors, for everything that they need, legally, financially, sportive, operationally, linked not just with the events themselves, but with the series. Then I'm working with FIA for the regulations, for entries for entry lists for um, event administration 
says that link as well, uh, going to the FA Touring Car Commission and supporting working groups. So working with them with evolving everything. Um, and then internally we're with ourselves and the, the promoter of the WTCR. So then linking with all the different departments with TV, with promotions, um, what do people need and when, and that all then forms my 360 for the event, which I put in my team books that go out. So trying to link everything together, make sure everybody has all the right information. And yeah, then going overseas um, involves a bit more again. So I'm doing, but yeah, in sort of summary, that's what I would say my role is. It's a huge role. I don't think people necessarily realise that that role exists or that it might be done by just one person. And um, and without that precious cog in the machine, I don't think very much would happen. <laughs> I'd like to think so, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think I'd be missed if the cog wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I can say that from having um, observed you, uh, you are incredibly well organised. I think that's very much at the crux of how you achieve so much. You You are so precise in what you get done. Thank you. Yeah, I write a lot of lists and yeah, produce all my own. You have the event timetable and everyone's timetable and I've got my own timetable on an event from everything when everyone has to have the armbands on, when scrutineering's open and closed, when, you know, all the little, all these little data things, when the grid's going to be published. Yeah, I'm constantly having to always think of the next step and also what could go wrong. And I know that frustrates people a lot. I don't want to be always looking at the negative of everything, but you've got to consider that as an option when you're looking at something so you're not surprised if it was to happen. So, um, yeah, lots of lists. I think I got bought a Christmas present of a book of lists once. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. You do have to be prepared for every eventuality though. That makes, you know, that's normal. You, you'd have, you'd have a plan A and then you have a plan. What if this happens? I can understand why that might frustrate people, but I can really relate to that way of thinking. So I'm with you hundred percent. What would you say is the biggest misconception about your job though? That I know a lot about cars. <laughs> yeah, outside of motorsport, and especially with, with men, when, I, you know, in a social situation, meeting friends and friends or something, that's the first thing they want to talk to me about, the latest Ferrari or something like that, and I really don't know, um, being completely honest. Yeah, for me, it's all about the, the event and the logistical and operational side, but that. Then uh, the glamour. Um which I know has been mentioned on your podcast before, that we are, uh, you know, eating out in all these amazing destination restaurants um, when actually we're in a sweaty tent <laughs> in the paddock somewhere. And the other assumption is that because I work in motorsport, I work in Formula One. Um, so I think there's a lot, you know, Formula One is the premium product, but there's a lot of people outside of motorsport that haven't got access to so how much motorsport there is um, available. That's true. That's not one I've encountered uh, often because uh, obviously um, I have the obvious answer, which is um, having worked in Formula One a lot. But that's so true. There's such a bigger world. And Formula One is the popular kid, the one that sort of everyone knows about and is the, the easy conversation. But there's hundreds of disciplines and, and a hundred more levels that are um, absolutely worth exploring, enjoying. And I even love it even more when you meet a, a really proper rally fan or, you know, a lifelong touring car fan who has so much to say about that area of the sport um, that I end up learning as well, which is 
brilliant and so much passion there as well yeah even when I entered into touring cars that's when I also discovered British touring cars you know on a national level and it's still great racing great fun to watch and so accessible when you're on site as a fan as well so yeah people can be looking on their doorstep for some really great action and and a great place to go and to try and network as well because you are right outside the garage you know everybody's right in front of you Absolutely. There's such an opportunity to learn. If you're trying to make it into motorsport, first of all, it doesn't have to be just Formula One, but absolutely a national series like British Touring Car is brilliant and many other Formula Three series throughout the world. But that's such a good place to start. And everyone's so much more open or has the ability to be open um, and you can get to ask all your questions find out everyone's really happy to help more often than not actually and it's probably where if you're desperate to work in motorsport it's probably where you're going to get your first experience um, it's very rare and someone starts at the uh, top championship level in any motorsport discipline yeah definitely definitely and I see so much online with with people looking to break into the sport and of course, the F1 is is everybody's top of the mountain, you know, the pinnacle that they want to get to. Um, but there's, I definitely think there's so much to be learnt and more of a hands-on experience to understand, you know, how everything works and then to rise up. Definitely. I agree to that. I think you have to be able to make your mistakes and make your learning in an environment where um, it's perhaps slightly less fast-paced it's a good way to do it anyway we've talked a lot about work but I'd like to just check in with the the rest of your life how do you balance your work life because you're very very busy so yeah I I've taken on a lot of running so for me personally I try and carve out time even on a race weekend to go out for a run I'm either up super early or we're not in a crazy heat wave. Uh, we'll run the track in the evening. But at home, that is my break free, just to sort of set my mind at the beginning of the day. Um, that And I was one of these people who went and bought a bike in lockdown. So um, I've been out cycling a bit and getting to know the local areas. And apart from that, it's just when I'm back, making sure to connect with people, connect with friends... And just remember that motorsport isn't all-encompassing, that, you know, there's my lifestyle, friends and family outside of that. And that's really important to not get so lost inside it and to, to make sure that I have that time out and see people outside of the sport as well. That's such an important point because it is such a demanding job and a demanding industry, especially when you're on the road. And um, to be able to keep that mindset and not forget that it's it's not everything. You have to experience other things. It's so important. What about success? How do you define it for yourself within your role? And do you feel an element of competitiveness as well? Because, again, when I experience motorsport, you know, I always joke that if there's more than two people doing the same role and they're in different teams, then they'll find a way to compete against each other. You're at series level. You're organising something. So... I would like to think that you might not feel as competitive uh, an element as other people, but you definitely will have some goals that you want to achieve and, and a way to feel success. So how do you approach all of that? So, yeah, it's a, it's a different. And this is, yeah, it's very strange. Coming from, the, from a team, which I was in before, into the organisation side, yeah, I'm, I'm not competing against anybody. I'm not chanting for one driver, you know, I'm not behind one one team. So... 
it's different on that competitive level. I think um, success for me related to an event is when it is a nice, quiet race weekend. Although I don't think there's ever a quiet, you know, simple race weekend. But when there's not too many dramas, it means that the job before has been done to the best that it can be. And other little things, actually, things like getting a simple thank you text or an email. And I've had a couple over the years at the end of the season from some of the drivers, which is really nice and it really makes it feel like it's worthwhile and it makes you feel like, yes, it was a success in the way that people have recognised the the job that's done and the firefighting that goes on throughout the year. And that is always not overwhelming, but a really nice thing to receive, actually. And then again, little things like when when you go back to a circuit the year after when they're happy to see me. (laughs) That's always positive. (laughs) But um, another thing within, for me, for uh, success as well, there has been times when I have sat in the FIA, whether it's the Touring Car Commission or Sporting Working Group, where I've been the only woman inside that room. And you don't even recognise at the time, but when you actually do sit and reflect to see how far I've come, that's that's a nice measure I think yes it is I want to say incredible but I don't want to use that word because it is credible you know a woman should absolutely be in that room it's wonderful that you're the one that's achieved that and that you're part of it and and you're in there you can encourage other people to uh to follow your path which is wonderful I always say you need to see it to be it so the fact that you're in there that opens the door for so many other girls that um that may want to have a similar job to Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In that same vein, do you have a 
proudest moment so far and have you have you got to celebrate it did you got to mark it or did you have to move on really quickly because that's the nature of motorsport my best moment at the moment emotionally speaking was winning the world championship in 2010 because I'd been with the team for a couple of years and that was a, a long journey to get there and we won that was the WTCC won both the manufacturers and the drivers championship for the first time so that was a very emotional weekend and just to see all the work that that had been put in and yeah I mean I still have very 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 fond memories from um, those years with RML Chevrolet but that's for me very defining emotional success moment. What I like now is is knowing the feeling and watching um, other people competing for a championship and knowing that feeling when they do get it at the end of the year and also, it's a nice connection to my father because with him winning the World Rally Championship um, a couple of times with Subaru, that's a nice element because we can share that feeling of knowing how that feels and all the hard work that goes into it. I was waiting for you to say that and all the hard work that goes into it and the relief that you get when it's actually all paid off. For the purpose of this podcast, obviously I know the answer, but the team that you were with when you won the World Championship is? That was with RML Chevrolet World Touring Car Team at the time. Yes, and they had a wicked livery as well, I loved it. Yep, and and my I think my best moment of the evening was when Ivan Muller, after his first year with us, sat down in the party and turned to me and went, you're not that bad. <laughs> Something like that, <laughs> in very Ivan Muller style. <laughs> like I've made it (laughs) I still remind him to this day (laughs) finally it's only taken the whole year to be to be fair to the spectrum uh do you have a lowest point and how did you overcome it with it being a male industry even to this day still um in percentage wise I yeah I've I've come up across some difficulties there some time ago I came across somebody who made me feel very uncomfortable within a team. I don't want to say the word bullying because that feels very strong, but there were name calling, there was things being said about me, there were things going around that were maybe, you know, oh, that happened, or oh, that would be Fiona's fault. I mean, the way I dealt with it at the time was, was head on and spoke to the person and everything was cleared and actually we had a great rest of the time and got on very, very well. But um, I don't see actually see it as a low point because it's something that I'm proud of the way I dealt with the situation being a bit younger and in a sport and at that point um, on the other side of the world so I'm very proud of how I managed it and we moved on from it but it's still something that does come up when people ask because it is still something that's there where I think yeah that wasn't a nice moment within the sport. Yeah and it's tough to um to sum it up in the, in the easiest way, it's always the negative comments that you end up remembering. I've dealt with that with social media a lot. You can read a hundred positive comments on something that you've created and posted on the on the team's social media platforms, but it's the one criticism or the one person pointing something out or assuming something negative that will stay with you for the rest of that day um, at the very least that day. And it's the same in real life, unfortunately. You cherish the praise, but it's often difficult to then have to deal with negative situations, especially if it involves confrontation, which nobody likes. And um, that tends to stay with you. But I also think in a positive way, you also end up having that experience and knowing to catch it much earlier if you ever encounter it again, which is, 
I find that to be very positive at least or to get something positive out of it no I agree what motivates you when we're in the dark depths of winter in season prep and the first race seems like a long way away it's actually the teams that I am looking forward to seeing the most and getting back out there um, they really motivate me that sounds really cheesy and it's not supposed to but yeah I really enjoy making sure everything's in place and that I've done the best job that I can do and delivering a service for those competitors for the teams it can be the same for a team coordinator within a team making sure everyone has what they need um, to go on the race uh, they know where they've got to be and when and just making everything easy for everybody so that motivates me and I've worked with some great team managers that have come through touring cars who have gone on to work in Formula E, Formula One, WEC and you know there's a lot of people I respect who've done men and women who've done fantastic jobs who have also taught me a lot as well and challenged me to do a better job so that's 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 what I would say. Definitely and it's although we focus on the first race as the target what it actually means is it's the start of the season because once you've started racing you're on that train you're not really getting off until you get to the end of it and so it's that thing of like okay off we go we've got the first one in the bag it's been done great we're on a roll this is going to be a good season yes and they come around quickly as soon as the first one started you suddenly find yourself yeah halfway through the season wondering how we got there <laughs> They fly by very quickly, yes. I'm still shocked. We're just, again, the podcast may be um, published later, but just for everybody, we're in August right now recording during the um, summer break, and I can't believe it's August. It was five minutes ago that it was March. I know. Trying to remember even the last race I was on. Um, it's just they're all sort of merging into one. She said it's mid-August. It's going to be Monza F1 here in a couple of weeks where I am, so... That's going to come around very quickly. It's bad. It's so quick. Um, okay, talking about all motorsport, as we have done uh, for the for this podcast, what do you love the most about it? What is your thing that keeps you going? I really enjoy opportunities that it's given me to experience other cultures and the travel. You know, and I appreciate. I'm very worked hard for it, but very lucky to have worked with people from Japan to the Middle East to, you know, Morocco and Africa to South America. And everyone has such a different way of working and it's adapting to each of these, the cultures. And I, I, I love that. And as I say, the travel, I've seen some beautiful places and the lifestyle. Yes, it's difficult and it's hard. And I've missed weddings and opportunities with friends, um, which comes as part of the parcel with this career but I wouldn't change it you know the experiences that I've had motorsport does give back for sure absolutely and I've just realized I'm slightly envious of you actually because through all the motorsport that I do it's very much to some extent it's arrive deliver what I need to deliver and then leave again I get to experience cultures through the evenings that we have, the hotels that we stay at. But in terms of the people that I deal with, it's fairly insular. And I tend to sort of stay within the team that I'm working with who are from lots of different places, but not necessarily from where we are actually racing at. You have to deal with the local people. You're dealing with the circuits. You're dealing with local suppliers. You actually get a much bigger slice of culture than I could ever wish for. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I really enjoy it, actually. And back in my years as well with Chevrolet, 
it was things like wanting to go out and do the the supermarket shopping for the snacks for the garage because you know you get <laughs> you get to find all sorts of wild and wonderful things and going and doing like the money changing in the bank because in Japan you know getting to experience so much on that level but and yeah now in like you said the role that I'm in you know it's Zuka circuit dealing with the people from mobility land there I just really enjoy the different timelines people set and the way that they work and it's really interesting is there anything within motorsport that you're less keen on that's quite a difficult one yeah there's been a lot of progress within women in the paddock there's a lot to do as I said I've worked with some great team managers and some of them have been you know, women team managers, it's not just all male. But there is a lot more. I, We really, I'm just talking from the touring car paddock that I see at the moment, there's not so many women in engineering roles. And that would be a really nice thing to move forward. And I think there's some great media and publicity out there about women in what perceived to be male roles in Formula One, for example, and women on the pit wall. And I think there's definitely space for that to improve. Um, and then again, you know, within the FIA rooms that I have sat in, there's an increase and it's always good to see more women coming through there. It's changing, but I think there still needs to be opportunities open to bring people into the sport. Definitely. There's so much more than we can do. And it's absolutely wonderful to be part of the journey, actually. I've had the pleasure of speaking to Anne Bradshaw and Louise Goodman, who were in motorsport in Formula One, you know, very earlier on. And they were the only woman there. They were able to have a lunch or a dinner every year with um, every single woman that was working in Formula One at the time sat around one table. It's lovely to be able to say that we can't do that anymore. We'd need many more tables, but we've we've got a way to go. And what a journey to be on. What a brilliant thing to get to witness and influence. Yeah, that would have been interesting times, I think they would have seen. I mean, I, I'm obviously going to um, promote my own podcast, but I definitely encourage everyone to go listen to their episodes. They've got stories like, you know, having to take men's clothing and, and go cut it so that it fitted and, and things like that. And, and that's just the practical side of things. But um, yeah, two absolutely brilliant episodes and two brilliant women. I loved speaking to them so much. I love speaking to them now. I'm still working with them and they are absolutely brilliant and they will help anybody. So if so anyone that actually wants to work in motorsport thinks that their jobs are ready, relevant then they should definitely contact them moving on to stress I really want to ask you about stress because your role to me is very stressful um, possibly because I'm not as organized as you are so do you experience stress in your role and how do you cope with it yeah it's a a different kind of stress I mean everybody it's all relative to each person's roles uh, but for example, when everybody's arriving on site and I could have five people coming from five different directions to me, all sort of talking at the same time or somebody, you know, wanting to talk over the other because whatever's happening for those people at that time is more important than the other person at the desk. S- sort of quick, short, small moments of, of stress, if you can call it that, when, yes, you need something now and it's got to be done now. Otherwise, yeah, over the course of a weekend, you know, you've... I remember in China, actually, um, the whole pit wall fence went electric. So we were about to go out on track and nobody can approach the pit wall fence because the whole thing has electrified itself or, you know, where a whole network goes down. And 
at that point you probably got the FIA being stressed out more than me but in race control but yes it's managing that level of you know how to manage that situation at that time and I think yeah within my role there's a lot of shouldering people's problems for them there's a lot of people that throw their opinions or throw their stress at me because it's an easy way to, th to throw it and it's learning to also not take any of that personally because it's not about me or necessarily the job I'm doing but yeah okay let people get it out and carry on are you quite good? I, I tend to find, especially when I was younger, I was very much a sponge. So if somebody was stressed around me, I would definitely pick up on their stress and, and, and experience it. And I've had to teach myself that it's not my emotion that I'm picking up on. Uh, and then I need to let it go. Pre-COVID was more like that. Then having that period where there was more isolation and, and bubbles and things being done by Zoom or even on event, I wasn't crossing people because I was, you know, literally in, in my office and not experiencing the panic like I had before, there was less opportunity to absorb all of all of that from, I'm talking more paddock-wide. Um, it's coming back a bit now, but I'm more in a position now to say, okay, I have to just let that go myself because there's nothing I can do about that particular situation. And as I said, it's a lot of the time, yeah, it's, it's nothing personal. And I, I need to carry on and get on with the next thing that I have to do, so smile carry on that's a good approach and over a race weekend then given that the paddock can be a stressful environment how do you switch off or how do you relax I quite enjoy a bit of my own time actually I enjoy going out and running if I can go out and run the racetrack in the evening I really enjoy that but it's been too hot this year with this crazy wet heat weather that we're having that and when the driver's briefing's done on a Friday I can relax more over the weekend because at that point it started the event has officially begun and everybody should have everything that they need. So from that point on, I'm able to, most of the time, take a step back and de-stress and then actually enjoy what the weekend brings. And we've touched upon it quite a few times, but in terms of someone that might be listening who really wants to work in motorsport, what is the one piece of advice that you'd want to give them? I would say hard work definitely pays off. And that people will notice, people will take an interest. And also in that hard work is pay attention to the details. And then in a similar vein, would you say there's a piece of advice that you've been given that you probably still use to this day? Do you know what? I actually take a piece of advice that is in my mind all the time on a race weekend that I took off one of your earlier podcasts. I can't remember who it was, but I loved this. Don't run. Don't run because that looks like you're in panic. And I used to run up and down the pit lane all the time thinking that, oh, I'm running and I look like it's a really important job I'm doing, if I'm really honest. And now I go, oh, no, actually, after listening to your podcast, I think it was actually said, wait till you get around the corner and then run. <laughs> I can't believe that. Oh, my goodness. What a compliment. This is, Yeah, this is something that I was taught quite a few years ago when I, I used to help out on hospitality programs with sponsors as a way to get two races so that I could do the communication part of my job. And uh, a really good friend of mine told me to do that or taught me that. And I still, yes, I, I to this day, I follow that one. You are meant to be like a swan. Just look like you're complete control on the outside. And then on the inside, you're underneath the water. You're paddling like your life depends on it. Because also, I've always got a pen notepad and that's something that was taught to me very early on always carry a pen and notepad to write it down 
which I know people are replacing with phones now. But when I run, I always drop my pen and my notepad in the middle of the pit lane. So it kind of goes together. <laughs> Fair, I like that. Very practical. <laughs> and I can't believe it because it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. But I've actually got to the last question of the podcast, which is very simple. And please say whatever you think and, and whatever comes into your mind. But what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to getting overseas. I still haven't done any overseas races yet coming out of COVID with the calendars allowing. So yeah, I'm looking forward to a bit of international flair and as I said earlier, yeah, the the culture side of it and um, even some jet lag. I wouldn't mind a bit of jet lag right now. Oh, do you know what? My favourite jet lag is the one where you end up waking naturally quite early, like a five o'clock in the morning and you can see the sunrise and maybe like go for a run in the morning. I love that jet lag. I try to cultivate that one. Totally. And falling asleep in front of the TV at like eight o'clock at night and dragging myself off to bed, knowing that, yeah, I'm going to have that very early natural awake. Oh, yes, the best. (laughs) I love it. It's a great one. Fiona, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really, really appreciate it. It's been fascinating talking about a role that I don't normally get to quiz people about. So thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. It's, you know, it's an honour to be involved with some of the people that you've spoken to who, who I look up to as well. That was Fiona Reese, everyone, and I'm so thankful she gave up her time to explain what goes into a logistical role, not something that we've talked about before, and it was really interesting. Fiona's on social media if you'd like to find out more about her work and her background. She's at Fiona M. Reese, and she's got a great website, actually, I think under the same name, uh, if you want to check that out. I'd like to thank the producer of this show, Press Play Productions. The awesome Tabatha is the one who turns our brilliant chats into the very nicely edited podcast you listen to each week. Uh, You can also check her out on Instagram and Twitter under Press Play Productions if you'd like to. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe via your favourite podcast platform. Leave a review if you can, tell your friends, post about it on social media. It means the world. It really helps new people find this little podcast and I really appreciate it. You know I read every message and every mention and it means so much. You can also get in touch directly if you'd like via my Instagram account, which is Pandea, P-A-N-D-E-A. And there's a link in the show notes uh, via which you can support the podcast directly should you wish to. It takes an awful lot of coffee to make this show, as you can imagine. Thank you very much for listening and speak to you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.